Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Notice, that you may be mindful of the words that were already spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Notice that he's reminding them first of the written word that's already been written. everyone, and welcome to our Bible study today on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series in the final chapter of Peter's second epistle. As we learn today, Peter already wrote about the importance of being reminded back in chapter 1, but here he wanted to emphasize what should be known in light of the coming of Jesus and the prophecies surrounding his coming. And now let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and follow along with Pastor Rob. 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writing this letter, remember it was meant to be written as a letter, we have chapter breaks and we have verses, but in the Bible, in these letters, they were meant to be read in one setting like a letter would be read. And so Peter is writing this letter to those Jews specifically, but some Gentiles as well, after the day of Pentecost, you recall in Acts chapter 2 and 3 where it talked about the, the Holy Spirit being poured out and many people being converted, uh, up to over 3,000 people in one day were saved and brought into the church of Jesus Christ. And, and as a result of persecution from not only the, the, uh, the Jews at that time, uh, but also from Rome, they were scattered and they were on the run and in fear of their life and going through difficult things and and the rumor and and a lot of things were happening at that time false doctrines false teachers were rising up trying to malign the truth of the word of god and so peter writes this letter to them again and the themes that we have in this epistle We've already looked at the importance of Christian character in the very first chapter. We looked at that scripture is prophetic, and it was uh, given to holy men of God by the Holy Spirit. 
We also looked at false teachers and false doctrines. We spent the last couple of weeks just talking about that very thing. And then this morning, we're going to be talking about the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ and how important that was for these people at this time. And by the way, a couple thousand years later, guess what? It's very pertinent for us as well. It's just as important for us as it was for these, the original audience of this letter. And so let's get into it and let's just read the chapter. Or actually, I'm just going to read the first uh, 13 verses. It says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the great in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, notice, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remember, uh, a way of a reminder. This verse is further evidence that Peter actually wrote this letter because there's some, some, scholars and that think that he didn't really write this letter but this is a further evidence that he did write to these the same group of people and he's writing to them again to encourage them to remind them of specific things a false teacher will never remind you of things that were before written in the word of god they're going to twist it and make something new i got a new revelation something really great i woke up in the middle of the night i had a lot of pizza and wings the night before but I think something really cool has happened, and I've got to share it with you. And then, you know, but a, a, a real teacher is going to remind you of what is already written. Because remember, Jesus put his stamp of approval on all of the Old Testament, and he certainly put his stamp of approval on Peter and Paul and John's life specifically, and they were mainly the writers of the New Testament. Some of the members of his own family wrote letters. Jude and James half-brothers of Jesus. I think they would know, wouldn't they, if he was the real deal? So, this verse, and I love what Peter says here. He says, I want to stir up your pure minds. That word pure is uh, 
Eile krinis, which is a, I'm butchering the Greek here, but literally it means, it means pure and sincere and found pure when unfolded and examined by the sunlight. You know this English word that we have, sincere, and the, it comes from a root word that means uh, sincera, which they, they, they would, uh, in the old days, when you would buy a piece of pottery, you've heard this before, but it's a great illustration. If you go to a market to buy a pot, you look at it, and it's all covered, but you really don't know if it's been cracked before, because it could have been broken, and then just uh, with wax, they would fill in the cracks, and then they would paint over it, and it looked like a brand new pot. But if you hold that pot up to the light in this bright sunlight of the Middle Eastern sky, you'll be able to see where the cracks were. And that's the idea. He says, I stir up your pure minds, this minds that are sincere, minds that have been proven to be genuine. And I love that. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Notice, that you may be mindful of the words that were already spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Notice that he's reminding them first of the written word that's already been written. That's important in today's society. We don't need something new. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And God tells us uh, to, to pay attention to his word. Notice that Peter is reminding them first of the written word by the prophets of the Old Testament, and secondly, by the commandment that the apostles received from Jesus himself. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He made the planets and the world and that, everything that's in it. And so Peter places the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles the same level of authority. Do you see that, how he couples them together? The apostles or the prophets from the past and the word that we've heard from Jesus himself, because it's not going to contradict what the prophets have spoken. It's going to be unanimous. It's going to be supported by one another. God doesn't go against himself. He doesn't say one thing in his word, and then later on somebody gets a revelation. Well, what he really meant was this. And it's okay. It's okay to do these aberrant things. Because God showed me something new. Really? Did he show you? And this is important because the Lord is not going to give a new revelation that is going to subvert or go against his revealed word. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And there are many cults, even denominations, that hold to traditions or thoughts of a man over the word of God. And this is clearly a problem today in which we live in. Go with me to Mark chapter 7. I'm just going to read something to you, because this is important. In Mark chapter 7, I'm going to begin reading. It says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came to, came to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread and defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding, notice, underline this, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, speaking of Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk, underline this, to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And Jesus answered and said to them, verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. 
As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain and in emptiness they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Do you see that? Can you see a lot of um, cults and false uh, religious movements? Most of them are based, uh, if not all of them, are based on a man's interpretation or, or something new. But not so with the word of God. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of man. The washing of pictures, uh, pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God. Notice the, the, the warning there. You reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me, it is a gift. Then you no longer Let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many other such things that you do. In other words, God says one thing, and yet they do another. They put their own word, their own guru, or their own leader, they put his words over the word of God. That's what a false teacher does. He puts his word over the word of God. And we need folks today to make a decision about this in our own hearts. Am I going to listen and believe the word of God, or am I going to believe what somebody has said and let that take precedence? Believe me, there have been many people who have given their lives for this book, and God has seen to it to verify it over and over, time and time again, that this is for me. He speaks from outside of time, and he speaks into it, the very things that, have, that are uh, coming to pass right now as we speak. Things are happening. Verse 2, back in Second Peter, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of, commandments and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. This word of apostle is apostolos, and this literally is specifically applied to the twelve apostles. There are really no apostles today. You can say, well, an apostle is someone who's sent forth. Yeah, we're all sent forth, but there were 12 apostles, and they are all in glory right now. No more apostles. No more apostles. Do you ever, sometimes I snicker and I see these titles of some of these men and you know, it's like, you know, the righteous reverend so-and-so, the omnipotent, the, the most beautiful, the most holy, the one who has, you know, you know land and, you know, plains and, um, and also, you know, the apostle, the doctor, you know, and, and, and the list gets so long. It's like, wow, this guy must be God. <laughs> there were only 12 apostles, but notice this group was exclusive it was an exclusive group, and the requirements to be an apostle were, are found for us in Acts chapter 1, 21 through 22. I'm not going to go there, but you can write that down. That These are the requirements to be an apostle. It's very clear. Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. You can read it for yourself. But going on to verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. A scoffer is literally a derider, somebody who derides the word of God, a, a false teacher by implication. And even Jude in his epistle, 
who was a half-brother of Jesus, said this. He said, these are grumblers, these false teachers, these scoffers. And again, today's going to be a little difficult, but we're going to get into something more beautiful next week, or the week after. Actually, it'll be beautiful next week, because Pastor David will be sharing. But these are hard things, because they're warnings, aren't they? They're warnings. But Jude says, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But notice the exhortation. But you, beloved, again, notice, remember. Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember those things. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. So these scoffers who walk according to their own lusts. This ought to remind us in the very second chapter of 2 Peter, we were just here last weekend, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, The Lord knows how to deliver the, uh, the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to their flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Notice, and they despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a railing, uh, reviling accusation against them before the Lord. And so these are men, these scoffers, they walk according to their own lusts. Have you ever known somebody who just despises authority? They're just, everything about them just is in rebellion against God's order, against God himself. And yet, Romans 13 says, the heaven, or I'm sorry, uh, um, what does it say? <laughs> um, the, there it is. The, it just came to me. There, I got it. Um, <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm smelling those waffle cakes. Now. Oh, I got it now. Um, it, it says that the powers that be are ordered by God. The powers that be, that are in the world, they're ordered, they're ordained by God. And will you resist that authority? We do it to our own peril, and that's why we have governments, that's why we have laws, to slow down the spread of sin. And so, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And here is what the scoffer will say. People have been talking about the coming of Jesus Christ for years, ever since. For 2,000 years, we've been waiting for him to return. And yes, it is a long time for us as people in this world that we live in that's governed by time we are in a time capsule if you will and that thing is measured and that takes time and from our perspective from our understanding it seems like a really really long time but for god it's a very small little blip on the screen from the when you compare it with eternity it is a very small it's almost like the time that we had here it almost didn't even really exist it's so small the scripture is filled with these things. How our life is but a vapor. It's for a moment. We may, if, if, we're, if we're of good health, we may live to be 80 to 90 years old. Or if you're really fortunate, you live to be 100 years old. And you're, you're, you're begging for God to take you. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've known 100-year-old people who are like, man, I don't, want, I don't know why I'm here. I just want to go. Everything aches. I can't get out of bed. I just want to go. <laughs> But where is the promise of his coming? 
Do you know that Jesus is coming? Never before in the history of the world have we been closer to his his coming than we are right now. There are so many things that have happened scripturally, things that are lining up that have never been lined up before. Before, even in previous generations, things are getting closer and closer. Jesus said they're like birth pangs. These things are coming, and they're coming, and they're coming, and pretty soon, it's going to happen. Now, of course, when I'm thinking of the second, you know, the, the coming of Jesus, it, we have to remember there's two different ways to think about the, the coming of, of, of Jesus. We know that there is the, the rapture of the church. And if you're new here, and this sounds weird to you, please see me afterwards. I'll share it with you. But there is the rapture of the church, which could happen at any moment. It could happen before we're done here today. And I hope it does. Honestly. Where we are met we meet Christ in the air, and we are with him for uh, at least seven years until he comes back physically to the earth, which the Bible talks about, his physical second coming. Two different events. The rapture could happen any time. We meet him in the air in new bodies. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians 4. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 15. It's there. I won't rehash that. But we are taken up. But when he comes back after this seven-year tribulation, he's coming down to the earth. Revelation 19, verse 10, hits it right on the head. When Jesus comes down, Zechariah 12 through 14 talks about when Jesus comes physically to the earth and he sets up his millennial reign for a thousand years in, on this earth. On this earth. Are you worried about global warming? I've said this before. When Jesus is coming, when Jesus comes back, there's nothing in the scripture that says when he comes back, the first thing he has to address is all these uh, coastlines that have been flooded because of, you know, no, he doesn't. Are you worried about the sun burning out? The sun's going to be there. It's still going to be there. Then there's this physical second coming of Jesus to the earth, very different. And in this verse, when it says, where is the promise of his coming? That word there is parousia. It literally means Jesus' physical return to the earth, not to be confused with the rapture of the church, which precedes it. Do you follow me? The rapture must occur first, and then the tribulation period, and then the second full coming physically, tangibly to the earth with all of us in our new bodies, to rule and reign with him in Jerusalem for a thousand years. But we're going to talk about what happens after that here shortly. So, verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. That by the word of God, the word there literally means logos. We know that Jesus is the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it tells us in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the word of God. The word means logos. It's the representation of God. It's the, it's the very thought of God. It's, it's the representation. It's where we get our word logo. When you see the golden arches on, on Highway 90 as you're going toward Buffalo or Syracuse, and you see the golden arches, you know exactly exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get the you know, chicken McNuggets or you're going to get a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese. You know what you're expecting. You know what's coming. That means something to you. You can smell the french fries as soon as you see the sign. But Jesus Christ, he is the logos, the representation, the very 
thought of God. He is the Logos. So by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. And it speaks of the Genesis account, which we won't go into fully here. But remember, when God created all things, he said, you can look at this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and it talks about the creation event. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created all things, and he spoke them into existence. Before, there was nothing. How great is your God? What can your God do? Well, my God can speak when there's nothing, and all of a sudden there is something. Can anybody top that? And then somebody says, well, yeah, we can do that. Well, we'll use your own material. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in Peter's second epistle. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.